Hey everyone, welcome back to the Formerly Fausto podcast. We took some time off. Uh, we had to bring Andy back from the dead, so uh, took a little while, but we are back and we've got everybody back uh, to do next episode. So Andy, Jake, say hey. Hey, uh, yeah, that was tough getting Andy back. Um, we, got, we thought we'd lost him for good there, but we got him. Listen, I appreciate the work it went into finding a Lazarus pit. Those are really hard to find. Uh, I, I think Scott Snyder and or Joss Whedon used the last of it to try to save Suicide Squad, which obviously, or no, fuck, it was Justice League. That's the one that Whedon got himself involved in, and it was still bad. So thank you for finding the one remaining Lazarus pit, using the last on me. I only have had one fit of homicidal rage since then. Yeah. I have a vague understanding that that was comic book, maybe Bible reference. <laughs> the last thing Andy said before we uh, started recording the third segment last week was, uh, Mr. Carmona, I don't feel so good. <laughs> Infinity War spoilers, everybody. Um, kind of. I mean, if you haven't seen a meme by now, then you're just not online enough to enjoy this podcast. So, but so, speaking of, okay. I want to get right into this. All yeah. right, and we don't have time to hear you talk about Infinity War, okay? Listen, <laughs> no. Damn it. For if we had to do uh, this is not a bit, but like if we had to eliminate half of the baseball universe right now, would you get rid of mostly front office or mostly players? Because I'm fully front in. Office. If we had to ownership, <laughs> yep. Just get rid of ownership. All owners? Okay, I'd do it willingly. I would just yeah. Get rid I would fully support murdering half of ownership. <laughs> you can quote me on that. Yeah, I cannot disagree. So, on the other hand, we do have some questions about baseball. Ownership be damned. Um, but, guys, right now it's Sunday. There's a great slate of games on. Uh, do you have a game on right now? And if so, what is it? I got a uh, – I'm watching Crazy Chris – Blame it on the ADD, baby. <laughs> Sale. Good try to win me a uh, try to win me a fantasy matchup. Trying to get that whip down under one one three, and we'll see if we can do it. Has how? What's the jersey integrity look like for for that game? There, they, they didn't try to go through a play, so he let it be. And he's got he struck out eight through four. It, look, Drake LaRoche is his kryptonite. You just bring Drake LaRoche around him, <laughs> and he loses his mind. I forgot that that... Drake LaRoche is an infinity stone. <laughs> Damn it. There's four Man, more. I, yeah, I don't know these references. Yeah. <laughs> I understand about the new movie, but I just don't know. It's like three hours long. You don't have to sit through it if you don't. But my question is... Uh, I, I won't. No. Um, there's like four more Drake LaRoche's out there uh, if, of kids of baseball players that other baseball players will widely defend. I, I wish I knew more about baseball player families to adequately weigh in on what the other ones could be because I, I just watched MLB a while ago put out some clip of Drake LaRoche talking to Bo Jackson in spring training and Bo Jackson is oh, like, yeah. oh, you should be like working on your swing and be doing this and Drake LaRoche is just looking at him like, who the hell are you, and why should I listen to you? And I, I guess Bo picks up on that and then just goes, you know who I am, right? Like, I played baseball and football. And Drake LaRoche just goes, why? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. 
So, anyways. Yeah, so, Andy, how's the Pirates game going right now? <laughs> They're up 8 nothing. This one's a laugher, but Chad Cool's bringing down that ERA. Feel really bad for him. Uh, the Pirates are officially kicking dead weight out of their rotation right now, uh, giving me some hope and dragging me back in, but uh, Cool's the last remnant of not really good pitcher on the pitching staff, and he's pitching well today, so he'll probably stick it's- along. Is Taylor Kingham legit? Uh, Kingham is... Nick Kingham is very legit. Taylor! Uh, it's Taylor. <laughs> uh, It'll always be Taylor to me. Kingham Kingham was the top prospect in the Pirates system above Tyone and above um, Meadows one season. And then he had Tommy John the first time, then he had Tommy John the second time. Uh, so he's seemingly recovered from both instances and doing well. He's got some really high upside. Struggled in his second start, but I I think that he could be a legitimate like two three. He's got an electric fastball, really good slider, which is more than seventy five percent of baseball can say. Nice. What about you, Tucker? What uh, game are you watching? I did just finish uh, the Yankees game. Glaber Torres, he's good. He hit a walk off <laughs> home run to complete the comeback. Um, I don't have uh, a TV in the room where I record this, so I'm not watching any other baseball games right now. So uh, let's hurry up. I want to get back to watching some games, and uh, you guys are not making this easy on me. A oh, note, God, no. a note about the Yankees game, though. Before you do that, uh, man, that Herman, did you see? Mm-hmm. He looks, he looks like, uh, he looks like old vintage Padres Jake Peavy to me. Domingo Herman was born to pitch on Sundays. It's in his name. It's in his oh name. Oh my God, <laughs> it is. That low three-quarters slot, 93 to 96 with, like, hard uh, run and then that, like, hard change-up. And then that, like, slow, curvy slider from that low three-quarters slot. I, I, was, I was feeling Herman today. Can we also just point out the fact that among the many things that I've been wrong about in this podcast, I said that there was no way the Yankees were ever going to catch the Red Sox, uh, and I just looked, Whoa. and now they're a game behind, and holy crap, that, that happened really quick. Uh, half a game. Half a game. Boston's got to win tonight. Oh wow! They uh, will. They will. Yeah, they will. They're already up two zero. Yeah. And uh, they got, Texas, they Texas got, is bad. Uh, Chris Sale on the mound too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a bit of a bonus for Sale. You're the only person keeping AWOL Nation's career alive. So let's move on to question number two. Everyone's got their favorite ballparks. It's normally where we watch our favorite teams play their games. But what is your favorite ballpark that is not your favorite teams? Boy, uh, uh, I'm actually going to go with like a random one. I really liked uh, Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati for two specific reasons. One, I got to see an all-star game there, so I saw it at its absolute best. Um, obviously, a stadium doesn't really get decked out unless it's opening day, an all-star game, or a playoff game. Um and their stadium for an all-star game was beautiful. They cleaned everything up. It's a really tight, small stadium, so you can walk it in, like, 25 minutes, which is awesome. Um, so I love being able to do laps and just, like, get a view from everywhere. Great American lets you do that pretty quickly, seamlessly. Great views from everywhere. And you're going to see a crap ton of dingers when you're there because it's literally a little league field. Um, I, I really like... Going to see games in Cincinnati too, but I don't necessarily like the ballpark that much. I like I like Cincinnati as a city. Um, I, I think I'm gonna not not solely to flatter Andy, but I think I'm gonna go with Pittsburgh. Yeah, that those views of the river and the bridges and shit, some good stuff. 
I'm going to go with Fenway. Uh, it's old. It's crazy. Uh, it's got some weird old ballpark going on, and the dimensions of that field make just weird shit possible. Yeah. Uh, I would have gone yeah. with Minute Maid Park had they kept the hill in center field mm-hmm. because I love that there's just a random mass hill in center field. Um, yeah, but without that, give me these impossible angles and like that 230-foot distance down the right field line uh, yeah. to the foul pole. I, I enjoy that. Yeah. Got good food. Have any writers done yet the like the oral history of the hill talking to like the baseball uh, architect who put that in there or the players on how much they hated it? Yeah, because it's been gone for what now, like two seasons, three seasons. It's been gone a little while. I miss it dearly. Uh, it was very close to me, and I, I feel like I had a bond with that hill. Um, I was born on that hill. <laughs> yeah, no, me, me too. Uh, Is that the one you're gonna die on, Tucker? In a way, yeah. we're that's the hill I'm going to die on. It is a literal hill. I love it. You can't die on it. It's no longer there. I'll build it back up. And then, and then, then die, die on the hill. The, yeah, the no, hill that, that's the plan. On. That is the entire plan for Tucker uh, 80 years from now or whatever. I'm not doing the math on that. Modern medicine <laughs> so will keep you alive for as long Good as luck, you want. Good luck, man. Good luck. Yeah. So moving on to question number three, which we have coming up. Uh, this is a thing that's been happening in baseball for the last five, maybe ten seasons, but definitely a lot more often recently. And it's one of those things that uh, explains why young superstar prospects uh, don't always make it out of camp with their teams for a month or so because the teams are just delaying their service time clocks just so they can keep them around for another year, keep them cheap, uh, and make sure that they're indebted to the team for one more year, basically. So, guys, is that practice morally wrong when they know that certain players can already help at the major league level? Well, I'll, I'll say that two-thirds of this podcast are uh, Democratic Socialists of America members. And, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go hard yes that it's morally wrong. Um because the player has earned the chance to, to be up there. He deserves that money. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, you're not wrong that it's morally wrong. The problem is is that... So when the Pirates were doing this with, like, Garrett Cole and Starling Marte and Gregory Polanco, I was all in favor for it because I firmly believed that the Pirates were broke and they had no money and... They were turning a profit, but they're turning a negligible profit in regards to, you know, actually being able to pay for a player's salary. But now there's no excuse. Like, everybody's getting $25 million a year from MLB advanced media in terms of the payouts that they get for the shop and the MLB TV extra money. And that money's very clearly not going to the players thanks to the soft tax with the luxury cap, which is basically a luxury, or sorry, which is basically a salary cap in the name of a luxury tax. And if teams aren't going to spend up and over that, then they got to raise the salary of everybody else. So let's start them young. Let's, you know, if you're good enough to play in the bigs, whatever, hit free agency early and get your money. But I think ultimately the, the undercurrent to all this is that when Major League Baseball goes into a lockout, uh, the uh, entire structure of when you get to hit free agency and this whole system will probably fundamentally change. That would be interesting. I I think, like, man, I know that these these businesses that are teams are, like, concerned with making profits in the short term, but it's like, Jesus Christ, man, look at the value of these teams compared to like 1990 it's insane how much they've grown and like just pay the kid the extra 
fucking like little bit of money. Like let him be a free agent like one year sooner. Chill the fuck out. Yeah, like how much did uh that new Dol- uh Dolphins uh, the Marlins Stadium uh cost? Because that was not really put up by the team themselves. Uh, it was kind of a hostage situation there. And, you know, you've got this, you know, $800 million or whatever dollar building just sitting around. Uh, you've got, you know, it's not paid for by the team. The team sells off more stuff so that, uh, you know, like the naming rights and certain sections and things like that so they can make even more money off of this thing they didn't pay for. And then when it comes to playing some, you know, like 20-year-olds who you paid five thousand dollars a year you know uh just in the minor leagues all of a sudden you're like oh we just don't have the money for that seriously it's fucking bullshit so it looks like uh looking at the marlins park thing well the, the marlins Dead, stadium Deadspin, is interesting it, it costs Deadspin has oh yeah yeah go for it deadspin has an article that's titled the real cost to miami for marlins park is in the billions and it argues that by the guy says that by uh 20 uh Wait me a sec. By 2048, when the final payments are are to be paid, it will have cost 1.2 billion dollars to Miami. Yeah, yeah just the city, right. not like Marlins ownership. Like, Miami yeah. city. No, yeah, like, yeah Miami Dade County. Oh boy. Yeah, well, because the way that these deals are structured is that the team pays a lump sum at, at the front, and then then they're done with it. Plus, then they get the profit that the stadium generates. And then the city is basically stunk going into debt and raising taxes to pay it off. And they end up overpaying in interest rates and economic shit left and right that I'm, I'm not 100% qualified to, to talk about. But the bottom line is that, you know, in this situation, at the time, the Marlins got to say, look, we all, we paid, I think they ended up paying $155 million and then Miami picked up the rest. So they were able to be like, look, we paid our $155 million for this stadium. And then really, the city of Miami is like, ha, that's like less than 10% of what this thing costs to build. Plus, you get all the revenue from it, and we get nothing. Yeah, And where's all that money go? Because it's not as if they're just making, you know, like the money off of like the stadium that they're not paying for and the sponsorships and naming rights and all that sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, like they're making cut off of uh, vendor sales, obviously, and team stores where everything's marked up and all of that. Um, and then you've got this TV money coming in because they're not paying, uh, you know, Fox Sports Southwest or whatever to put their games on. The TV stations are paying them. So where does all that money go when all of a sudden they can't afford to pay a guy, you know, like an extra couple million a year after they're already making uh, hundreds of millions each season and especially in value? It's... I don't understand the economics of it the way they say it, uh, which probably means they're lying. I mean, ultimately, the the most interesting thing about sports as a business model in North America, as opposed to the way that most other soccer clubs are run around the world, which are the only comparable business model in terms of size and scope for athletic teams, is that the value that they get comes from the sale. So the Pirates aren't worth a billion dollars. But when the next baseball team gets sold for over market value, say the Marlin, like what was the Marlin sale? Just over a billion, just under a billion, something like that. It basically, uh, about. Yeah. yeah. So it basically everybody saw that and was like, well, the Marlins were less valuable than the Pirates, so therefore the Pirates are now worth a billion dollars. When in reality, that's not the way it works. The only teams that can back up their value 
are the Yankees and the Red Sox. Those are the only two freaking teams that have like the assets and the capital coming in outside of the baseball team that makes sense. And in the case of the Yankees, it's because they built a freaking TV empire, which is a whole other thing to go into. But again, the Yankees were really freaking smart, and I respect them for the money that they make because they went out and found ways to make an actual income while everybody else was just sitting on their thumbs being like, all right, well, when you sell your team, we get more money from it. It's it's all it's all a bunch of bullshit, and ultimately the only team that has actual money is the Yankees. So fuck you, Tucker. Your team's well, actually good. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it, tough. Uh, so let's move back to actual baseball here yeah, for a that, bit. That now thing. we're going to keep this one short. Uh, I'm going to give you an upcoming series this week. Okay. I want you to tell me who's going to win and just real quickly – why? Because we're going to build off this in the future. So, real quick, one sentence each. Who's going to win this series? Pirates at White Sox. Pirates. White Sox are garbage. White Sox, Pirates are garbage. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, we got a split there. Red Sox at Yankees. Yanks. Uh, they're hot. Um, going to be fun, though. Going to be a fun one. They also miss Chris Sale. Yeah, yeah I was nice. going to say, if, if the Yankees are missing Chris Sale, I like them taking that game. Uh, I'll go with Yankees as well, uh, but it's, yeah, Yankees. Yankees, they're hotter. All right. Cleveland at Milwaukee. Cleveland, they're just more talented. Milwaukee, uh, Pirates are beating up on the back end of their rotation. All right. So... Last one of these Diamondbacks at Dodgers. Dodgers, the D-backs have hit a little. Well, no, I shouldn't even say that. They're just they they're at one and one with the Astros this weekend. They could win the series today, but I just feel like the Dodgers have got to start winning some series. I I'm gonna go with uh, D-backs. I think the Dodgers are bad. I think the D-backs are gonna put one of the first nails in the in the Dodgers playoff coffin. Uh, All right, so building off of those four, and because, you know, I said we were going to do this, um, which of those four should be our series of the week? Uh, Yankees, Red Sox feels like such the ESPN answer, but I think it's going to be way better baseball than uh, D-backs, Dodgers. So, yeah, Yankees, Red Sox, and I really hate that the guy sitting in Brooklyn, New York, is the one saying that. So I hate what you've done to me, Tucker. Uh, gotta be Pirates, White Sox. That's the one everyone, everyone wants. A combined 27 wins is actually better than <laughs> Red Sox and the Yankees. So, I mean, there is that, but, uh, yeah, come on. This is, the, you know, the people want uh, Rust Belt baseball. That, yeah, I, I mean, if... Uh, there's a lot of results over the past couple of years that have shown the people are just want the Rust Belt. That's about that's all that matters. And you know, like just because something's in Wisconsin, you know, like yeah, you should go there. You should Listen, go to Wisconsin and pay attention to what's I'm happening. I'm not in letting my homeland area of the country take over the sport that I love after they ruined the election. They're not ruining baseball with snowy forty degree. April and May baseball, okay? No, I'm not letting that happen. I like snowy baseball. Yeah, it's good. What? You don't go to Wisconsin, terrible things can happen. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just the truth. You just have to go to Wisconsin when something happens there. 
You Listen, have to. The last time I went to Wisconsin, I just had a horrible gas. There's just so much freaking cheese in that state. I, I can't. I can't take it. It's good for you. Look, all I'm saying is Bernie Williams would have won. So, <laughs> next question. <laughs> Uh, guys, you might have heard of Bill James. Uh, pretty important in you know Bernie how we bro. talk about and understand baseball uh, these days. Uh, stat guru, also a little bit crazy, uh, saying on Twitter the other day, uh, to him, Bryce Harper is nowhere near a superstar standard. Um, I know this is kind of a crazy question, but because Bill James asked it, we kind of have to ask it here. So is Bryce Harper a superstar? Yeah. Uh, listen, non-Bernie bro, uh, Bill James, uh, you are... Eterno disciple. Yeah, I, listen, I, I saw what Bill James has been doing, and I think a lot of this comes from the idea that he's trying to more scientifically figure out what a Hall of Fame baseball player is, um, but instead of doing that based off of stats, he's trying to wisdom of the crowd it, and the problem is that the wisdom of the crowd on Twitter, at least in baseball, is is going to half not take this seriously and then the other half not be worth listening to. Um, so I feel like his his baseball radar has been has been shifted in a bad way. Like he is a compass on the North Pole, and his true North is just spinning wildly for all you science nerds out there. Uh, so I'm Bryce Harper's a superstar. End of story. End of discussion. He hits the ball really hard. He does it really often. And he gets on base a crap ton more than anybody else besides who's not named uh, Mike Trout. He's a superstar. End of story. Uh, I'm not so sure. Um, he's Jake. like I'm looking at his wars right now, and it's like four point four, four point one, one point six in an injury like plague. 2014 then we got the 9.3 the one season he's had that really is like jaw-dropping where he hit 42 homers um 330 460 uh weighted runs created plus at 197 um that's the superstar season that's the only time he's hit more than 30 homers the next year he's at a three war in 147 games last year in 111 he's at 4.9 which, like, if you project that out, like, giving him 140, 150 games, maybe that's a six. But, like, I would feel a lot better about calling him a superstar if we'd seen two, at least, like, six war seasons. Like, right now, I'm not sure. I don't know how this compares to, like, Robbie Cano's early career, which I feel is more like... It was pretty volatile. Yeah. I'll get it. I mean, right now I'm looking at his his B-Rep page, and I get what you're saying, but like he's still a, a three, four, five hitter almost every year, which is really hard to do. Um, yeah. And then this season, his he's batting two fifty five, but his on base is four thirty eight. He's leading the league in OPS. He's leading the league in walks, and he's leading the NL in home runs with twelve. Uh, I I definitely like where this season is going, where I think he, he's probably going to be what the new generation slugger kind of looks like, where low batting average, high on base, high slugging, and ultimately is like a really good player, just maybe not by traditional metrics. Um, he's already got, 
Well, he's only got one war this year, so maybe his fielding's not as good as we, we think it is. Yeah, it's... He only has one war through the first month of the season. No big deal. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, no, he's up to a great start. But his defensive metrics hurt him. I mean, Rob, Robinson Cano has had six seasons above five war. Um, I, I'll admit there because like Harper's got a last year at 4.9 like for all intents and purposes that's not much different than like a 5.3 but he's only above five one time so far in his career Cano has done it six times yeah Um, I I don't the thing is with Harper is that like he's had one disappointing season his entire career I mean I mean at the age of 21 playing through uh, an injured season and only getting to 100 games he still managed to put up a 344 on base uh, above average slugging percentage and uh, everything like that. So 2016 is really the only disappointing season I think he's ever had in his career. And I think the question is just how long are we willing to hold that over him? Uh, just last year, which wasn't a superstar season, I suppose, uh, because he did miss about fifth games uh, with injury and just with regular rest, uh, he was third in the NL and OPS. Uh, he played solid defense, and the defense hasn't been there quite yet this year. Uh, I'm sure that's going to come around. But other than that one season in 2016, this guy has played uh, just about as well as you could reasonably expect even a great player uh, at those ages to perform. Uh, and now that he's 25, leading the league in OPS again, uh, and also homers, RBIs, walks, uh, games played, which is a nice change of pace for him too. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what else we want to if he's not a superstar because we can't give them all to Mike Trout. Uh, Mike Trout is a singular player and nobody is ever going to Mike Trout again. What about a comparison with like Lindor or Correa? Um, I think he's better than both. Um, I, I know he's been more volatile uh, over the years, but um, you know, like none of those guys really have any you know, like black ink on them either. I, I think that you can be a superstar even if you're not necessarily up five war a season. I, I think that there's ways to do it, such as, you know, uh, having just a great overall bat or leading the league in homers while not being like a Chris Carter or Mark Trumbo type that's just totally one-dimensional. Uh, yeah, and I mean, plus he's the that franchise. Uh, he's one of those guys that everybody knows, even if they're not baseball fans. Um, I think he, he just passes on every single regard so... Put it this way, I don't know what Bill James is talking about. Uh, that will probably be a recurring thing uh, in later podcasts, but I, I think he's a little bit off on this one. Yeah, I, I I get the argument that you're making, Jake, and I definitely think that might that maybe Bryce Harper doesn't end up being a you know baseball game breaker where the uh, record book is you know all over the place with Bryce Harper stats. Um, the way that we're expecting Mike Trout to kind of do it, but that being said, uh, you know he's on pace for a really good season this year, and ultimately, I think what might happen with him, and I think what Bill James is kind of hedging his bets for, is for when Bryce Harper gets the ridiculous contract that he never lives up to in terms of perception. Um, when he hits the free agent market, he's going to get like five hundred million dollars, and. When you hear Bryce Harper $500 million, there will be no numbers outside of Barry Bonds' numbers that will live up to that contract in the same way that A-Rod basically had to deal with that for the whole second half of his career. Like, A-Rod 
was worth every crazy amount that he got per at-bat. He just wasn't necessarily exceeding that value. He was very adequately properly paid. I feel like that's what's going to happen with Bryce Harper. He's going to be very adequately paid for his value. Uh, it's just a lot of money. All yeah. right, so uh, yeah. Oh, no, Jake, go ahead. I'll, I'll let you finish. Well, I was just going to say, I, I mean, like, I think that Bryce Harper is more likely to have a nine-war year than, like, a Lindor or a Correa. But I think that um, Lindor and Correa, like, because of the defensive value that they bring there, kind of, like, baseline is a five-war year. And, like, Correa's been 5.6, 5.9 last couple of years. He's already at 1.9 and, and, like, probably will get to – I mean, is projected to get around six or seven this year. Um and I, I love Lindor, but I just and I think that like I kind of get what Bill James is saying that Bryce Harper is turning a lot of four and a half war years that you could get from a JD Martinez, like mm-hmm. uh, maybe he's capable of like busting out for that like forty five homer season where he hits three thirty and but we saw it we've only seen it once. Yeah. I- that's true. I, a lot of guys are just going to be volatile uh, as they, you know, go down the line, and uh, especially if they're not playing a defensive premium position. Um, in that way, he kind of reminds me of uh, John Carlos Stanton, uh, not in the 15 run variety, but in that like they've had uh, up and down seasons and a, yeah. a few more injuries than you'd like to see at this point. Mm-hmm. But um, I think there's room for both types of players as superstars, and that's. Uh, Something that I like about baseball. Now, speaking of superstars, oh, man, I'm getting good at these transitions. Uh, <laughs> LeBron last night, crazy buzzer beater. Uh, one of the ones that I've practiced when I'm playing pickup 50 times and hit maybe once, and that's without a defender or anybody else uh, on the court. So, um, I have to ask, now that LeBron has totally flipped the narrative from five years ago, in baseball, is clutchness a thing? Uh, I want to by saying, Andy, you gotta watch the play the NBA playoffs. <laughs> I've watched. If you're not watching zero LeBron, minutes. you're you have to watch LeBron games, and you have to. But that's not what we're talking about right now. Um, I saw the shot. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then I, I shared in our group me that we have with our uh, sports pick'em league. I shared the Mr. James I don't feel so good meme of of the Toronto Raptor fading mm-hmm. away into nothingness. As I I understand the the Lebronto meme. Basically, Lebron James is teabagging Toronto year after year after year. Is this is am I getting uh, this right? Yeah, uh, yeah. No, he pretty much always beats them, and in increasingly embarrassing ways. Yeah. yeah. It's fun to watch. You got to check it out. Anyway, but anyway, yeah, Jake, talk about clutchness. Say, I'm gonna. I, I I think I will be taking what social stance and saying that it's kind of a thing. I don't have numbers to back this up, but like the way that David Ortiz performed in the postseason, I don't think that that was like a statistical anomaly. I think that there was some real causation. There. I, I think that there is a lot of random fluctuation in baseball, but at the same time, I think there are certain players who may have to do with how you perform against the best players. Like like David Price, um, 
I could see an argument where, his, and you'd have to like die numbers here, but like where his stuff, because it's so fastball heavy, doesn't play as well in the playoffs against top tier teams, but like plays really well against uh, when you're playing against the whole 30 teams in the regular season. Um, I'm going to say clutchness is sort of there's, – there's something there. It's not just random variation. Uh, there's a part of me that thinks that clutch is – good players will do good things more often than average players who will do good things on an average rate. Um, I – that all being said, I firmly believe that Mariano Rivera is one of the best relievers in baseball because he was just so good at throwing one pitch that would just work. Um, so I don't know. I think I think clutchness goes more for a pitcher than a hitter, though, because the pitcher has more control and the pitcher's ability to retain that control and not give the hitter something to hit, I think, is more clutch worthy than a, a hitter getting lucky on a fastball or, or an off-speed pitch. See, I don't think it exists, uh, not just in baseball, but in any sport. Uh, but I do think that there is something um, to a player who would, you know, theoretically succeed better against uh, overall competition than he would against great competition. Like, uh, especially with um, like somebody like David Price, uh, as Jake said. And I, I think that there's... Um, you know, I, I think that that's the case in a lot of these other sports. It's just certain guys' uh, skill sets doesn't necessarily work yeah. once you're playing uh, exclusively great teams and uh, mostly great players. Um, so in a way, I guess maybe you could call it a thing, but it's certainly not a thing in the way that cable TV discusses it. Yeah. Um, and even with a guy like David Ortiz, I think he was a great postseason hitter because he's a great regular season hitter. Uh, I don't think that there was anything... Mm-hmm about him that uh, was, let's say, different um, in the playoffs. I mean, his slugging and on-base percentage in the playoffs are pretty much exactly what they were uh, in the regular season. So there's not really a whole lot of difference uh, there, I don't think. But, you know, at the same time, like, the reason that the great players are great is because they're great against everyone. So if you want to call that clutch, fine. I think that there's probably just better ways to describe that skill. I'm gonna. I'm looking up David Ortiz's postseason numbers, and my sort of the basis for this claim was like I'm just thinking, you know, you're never gonna see a hitting like below 200 for the postseason. And then I looked up his numbers, and I count one, two, three, four, five seasons where he hit below 200 in the postseason. So. Fuck it, never mind. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. Like, it's just a lot of random variations. Yeah. But uh, once you get a reputation, it just sticks with you forever, which is why, uh, you know, in basketball, we're still talking about, you know, whether or not LeBron is clutch enough uh, to be the greatest of all time, even though he uh, just in the past two weeks has hit more playoff buzzer beaters than Michael Jordan. Well, just, that's just the LeBron... That's just the LeBron takes industrial complex at work. Mm, yes. <laughs> yeah, the, it's, a, it's a big industry, and it drives most of America's uh, time and money. Let's just yeah. remember that David Freeze is a World Series MVP when the St. Louis Cardinals won, won the World Series. All right? And That's... he's made a grand total of one All-Star game his entire career. 
and he has had a grand total of one seat no two seasons where his war has been above two so here's what i'm gonna say <laughs> i if the if the randomness ever varied for you in the way that it varied for David Freeze, I can guarantee <laughs> you that you would not call it random. <laughs> that you would attribute it to something in your character. <laughs> something in your will to win that propelled you to greatness for a short time. And I, I like I bet you if you ask David Freeze, he's not just like certain random fluctuations happen. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean everyone like but you know. You, you talk to like one of those guys that has like the choking reputation, like uh, I don't know, let's say A Rod, just because yeah. you know, like that was a little unfair too. But like, what are you, what are you gonna ask him? It's like, hey, how come you suck in the playoffs? Like, oh, <laughs> do the same thing as I do in the regular season. What do you want? <laughs> Random fluctuations. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, would... so hey, they, they've got it right. As always, listen to the crappy players. Yep. They make the best managers anyway. Sure. I think they've they're on something. I would I would kill for one for somebody to ask pure roided up Barry Bonds like, hey, uh, why do you suck in the playoffs? Just to see Barry Bonds' reaction to that because I don't think anybody ever like straight up asked him why he was struggling in the playoffs. Everybody was too scared because they knew what was being injected into his body. That guy, um, I would hit you. Yeah, He'd straight up hit you. Yeah, like he he might just grab you with one hand and choke you. Well, while this gets awfully real, uh, let's move on to segment two. You're going to hear a word from our sponsors who may or may not have remembered this. So stay tuned for that and stick with us as we talk about rebuilding teams. It's everybody's favorite subject. We, we don't have any sponsors. And welcome back. So now we're going to talk about uh, our new game that I'm going to force these two to play. And it's called, Is That Rebuild Going to Work? <laughs> self-explanatory i think i'm gonna name a team you tell me if the rebuild is going to work or not uh yeah sounds pretty easy right cool uh, I like so it. let's move on to, the- to braves is that rebuild gonna work uh um <laughs> yeah probably i'll probably get pretty good they'll probably get pretty good acuna and albis and uh like that Soroka looked good in his debut. I bet you they'll sign a free agent or two. They'll probably be. Yeah, I think the Braves rebuild is going to work. Their biggest thing that they need to figure out is pitching. Um, but I think the Chicago Cubs have kind of shown that if you can get a solid five or six lineup guys that are going to be above average, uh, you can go out on the free agent market and just continually buy pitchers and or trade for good pitchers. And then, and then you have a team that that equals a successful rebuild. I, I'm buying the and, Braves. And look at Freddie Freeman playing the role of Anthony Rizzo as the uh, first mm. baseman who survives the purge. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, also the emergence of Mike Fultonevich from Manuka, Illinois. Ooh, um, good Paul. Yeah, he's been pretty good. Those hard. How about Nick Markakis leading the league in batting average? I'm sure his BABIP is probably uh, very small and isn't uh, indicative of anything. But uh, Markakis swatting the ball right now. He's making a case to stay in Atlanta uh, once yeah. the team gets good again. If they aren't, they're 19-13 and 13, uh, in a division that does not stink. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think this is going to be one of the more successful rebuilds. Um, 
I don't know if it happens as quickly or as successfully as what the Astros just did, but uh, this is looking like a team that's going to be pretty good, um, if not right now, once the new guys all get in and age up a couple of years. Can we talk yeah. about how Kurt Suzuki has a 147 OPS plus as a catcher? Uh, I, I don't understand how Kurt Suzuki is hitting. I thought that he could never hit, and he couldn't field, and that's why the Braves signed him. And now he's good. I'm very confused. He was good last year in that platoon role. He, he was like actually a good hitter again. So I don't know what the Braves did with him. Um, with one-time All-Star Kurt Suzuki, <laughs> I love my one-time All-Stars. Um, but yeah, that that is something that's making a lot of value out of right now. What a weird sentence. Yeah, it's a Cal State Fullerton uh, like all-timer there. Mm. But yeah, 81 games last year, he hit really well. Um, I mean, a lot of guys, I think, if you, like, play matchups right for them, they, they can put up significantly better numbers and shorter in, a sh- in fewer play appearances. Now he's, you know, their starting catcher for the yeah. moment. So uh, it's almost like he just kind of figured something out in the platoon, and now he's like, hey, <laughs> I can do, I, am, uh, I can do yeah. this every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Casual. Just rebuild himself overnight. All right, so team number two currently rebuilding right now and uh, way more behind on the rebuilding curve than the Atlanta Braves. Uh, this team is second – or sorry, third worst in all of baseball with a 9-22 and 22 record. Watch your I'm mouth. talking about the Chicago White Sox. I apologize. Guys, is the White Sox rebuild going to work? Yes, definitely. Uh, Kopech is doing really well in the minors. Um Eloy Jimenez is going to be awesome. Moncada's like exit velocities look great. Tim Anderson even looks okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the action's going on in the minor leagues. Oh, Reynaldo Lopez looks good. Looks terrible. Oh my god, he looks like More a guy. Walks who, strikeouts. He looks like a guy who needs to spend some time in AAA. But by AAA, I mean high school baseball. They should let him play high school baseball for a little while to get his confidence back. I believe he is too old for that. <laughs> Andy, uh, is this rebuild going to work? Um, I am going to go with a... Uh, I don't want to say no. What are, we, what are we defining as a, as a working rebuild? Like, Are we talking full Cubs Astros where they need to win a World Series? My definition, no, I don't, I don't, for me, it's not a World Series. It's do they become one of the best teams in baseball? Yeah, you have to be become, a good team for more than one year and then yeah. a Can they put together like a three, four year run where they're like at that top, top one or two tiers? Okay, in that regard, I think that I'm not, I'm not going to sell on it, but I'm really hedging my bets. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going with a... Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I I will put I will go down. Uh, I will put the the record will say that Andy said that this rebuild will work. And when I'm wrong, I'm gonna go. I told you so. I knew I was gonna be wrong on that. I just I okay. just I don't love the production from the guys that are already at the upper levels. Kopech's obviously like the one um, exception to this, but everybody else who's made it either to the majors or to AAA like just hasn't been nearly as impressive to the level that would make this rebuild work. But again, they're young, so there's still time for them to figure it out. I'm if Kopech was if Kopech wasn't doing well, I would say that uh, this rebuild is going to fail. But they're Kopech's doing well, so he's really the last guy that I'll hang my hat on. Yeah, and 
I'm hedging my bets, but I'm going to say no for now. I think they have the pieces to make another couple trades, in which case I think uh, it would work. But right now their farm system is pretty much all starting pitchers and outfielders. Um, obviously those are important positions, but I, I don't really trust a top-heavy uh, farm team that has this many pitchers, and it's so dependent on them. And even Reynaldo Lopez right now, uh, the ERA is there, but his FIP is a full two runs higher uh, because his peripherals just don't look very good right now. Um, so I like some of the players they have right now, even if I'm not certain uh, how long guys like Yulmer Sanchez and Jose Abreu continue to play at this level. Um, so I'm unsure. I'd say no for now, uh, but that doesn't mean it's doomed because they can move a couple guys this year at the deadline, get a little bit younger, get better prospects, draft well. And then I think that uh, it's going to come around eventually if they make one or two more moves. Next next year is going to be a big year. Uh, there's going to be a lot of guys who will have had major league experience, and then there's going to be a lot of guys who are expected to come up and contribute. Um, and if by if next year the guys that are young and at the major league level aren't good, or uh, then I think that we can say that this rebuild might be a bust and they might need to get like aggressive about trading upside for proven talent. Uh, the most White Sox thing that could happen would be for them to uh, pull an Expos and be the obvious front runner in in the standings, and then to have a labor stoppage uh, mm. end the season. <laughs> <laughs> that is diabolical. That's going to the next team staying on in the same division. Uh, it's an AL Central heavy day in uh, segment two today. Um, how about the Minnesota Twins? I do like the AL Central. Uh, it's a fun division, but the Minnesota Let's Twins start. right now just a just card game last year, but kind of struggling so far. Twelve and seventeen need to get something going. So, is this rebuild with their prospects going to work? Nah, I don't think so. Uh, I think this is the year where. It- Start to kind of work, and it's not looking good. Um, they could get hot. It could it could be all right, but um, I just don't really see it. I legitimately didn't even know that they were uh, rebuilding. Uh, I thought they were in that. Awkward... It's an off and on rebuild. <laughs> it's a, it's kind like of they... a constant rebuild in a way. Yeah, yeah, I feel like Minnesota is just always in this perpetual state of young, but with enough veteran pieces that they might be good, but never enough youth to usurp it. Like they've got Zach Duke on their forty man. Like where the hell are mm. you? Where the hell are they getting these guys from? That uh, dude can still these out. He's a good specialist. Yeah. Uh, he has really reinvented himself from, you know. He's so like a... different. <laughs> he, he is like a three-quarters arm slot now. That's so weird. He was like a straight-up like front-end prospect type with Pittsburgh who naturally broke. And then uh, he was an all-star in 2009. Holy cow, that guy's been around forever. Uh, yeah, there, uh, no. Uh, I'm sorry. I can't. I can't buy the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, and it's weird because I do like some of the prospects they have, but again, they've got that issue where a lot of the guys are at the same position uh, between Royce Lewis and Nick Gordon, and uh, they have another younger uh, prospect who's also a middle infielder. And okay, I don't think that Eduardo Escobar and Brian Doe to be on the next uh, division-winning Twins team, uh, but at the same time, you know, you need to see a little bit. Uh, more production out of the guys that they already have up there right now. Uh, Buxton's bat has not yet come around, um, and that's to happen. So hasn't developed into 
second hitter yet, even though he can absolutely swap the hell out of the ball when he gets a hold of it. Um, and these are their prospects that they were really depending on a little while ago. So um, they have some pieces that other teams are going to like. I think if they fully commit to the rebuild this year, it works. But if they try to stay the course, uh, looking too much into that wild card finish from last season, then I think it absolutely is not going to work for the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, that sounds, that's very eloquent and correct. Eloquent. All right, well, uh, thanks. Um, so <laughs> let's go to the last one in this segment. Uh, it's another team in the AL Central who is right. struggling right now. That's the Detroit Tigers. They're not their second in the division at 14 and 18, uh, which oh is weird God. given that I thought this division would be a little stronger. Um, but, yeah, they're not doing too well right now. Uh, they've got a weird mixture of guys who are at their peak age who aren't doing well and veterans who might be overperforming their actual skill. Uh, so, guys, the Detroit Tigers, is their re work? No. Nope. <laughs> Hard no. That was uh, bad. They're going to – they've got some pretty good pitching prospects. That, um, the farm system's better than it's been in a long time. And we all know that the best way to build a team is to have a ton of really good starting pitching prospects. <laughs> uh, so they are – this is going to get – when this young group right now ages to maturity, they will tempt playoffs, but not reach it. And then they will have to tear down again once more, and they will make the playoffs for the next time in the year 2030. Um, well, that is a very bold prediction uh, and awfully specific, too. I like it. I had some thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the MLB top 100 prospects, and the Tigers have only have four in the top 100, which which isn't great if you're a rebuilding team, and they're all right-handed pitchers. Um, again, not exactly looking like you got a strong deep pool here, Detroit. And what's even worse is that not to go all insider and, and talk sources and whatever, but like I obviously know people who work for Erie and their Double A team and. Uh, the, the word I've heard is whelming. Everybody's very whelming. Uh, nobody's got great, amazing stuff that they love. Um, they think that they can all be major leaguers, but whether or not they're good or not remains to be seen. I mean, you know, Drew Verhagen at one point was like a top pitching prospect for the Tigers and he's what, like basically like a straw man out of the bullpen right now, somewhere between long reliever and not quite starter. So I... I, I don't believe in the Tigers rebuilding. I think this is going to be long, painful, and hard until they decide to sell the team, make a crap ton of money, inj- inject uh, you know straight cash into it, and basically do what they did this time where uh, they buy all the really good players and then they uh, have the prospects kind of supplement the really good players that they bought. I would like to see the state of Michigan purchase the Detroit Tigers. I don't think get that's rid of going uh, to the ownership, publicize the teams, mm-hmm. make it publicly owned, and I, I think we'll have a better system working for everybody here. It's worked for the Michigan Wolverines football program. For- <laughs> okay, <laughs> well you also that's bought that's a crazy that's state owned. owned. That's state owned, and they're doing all right. You just got to drink a lot of milk. <laughs> you got that agriculture is big. So uh, right now you're going to. Hear a word from our sponsors as we prepare for segment three. Our sponsors have been very generous uh, with their uh, money and advertising. Isn't the state so of much. Long break here, but when we come back, we're going to have our throwback player of the day. 
our jersey of the day, Andy. And uh, Jake's got a new segment that I think everybody's going to want to hear. So stay with us, and we'll be right back. And welcome back. So today, our throwback random, you want to call it, player of the day, is the 2003 AL Rookie of the Year at age 25, uh, a guy who started for only four seasons and was a member of, in the regular season, but not the playoffs, the 2009 World Series winning New York Yankees. I'm, of course, talking about Angel Barroa, uh, who was a cornerstone of the Royals infield in the mid-2000s, and that is not much of a compliment. Angel Barroa, congratulations. You're our throwback player of the day. Hold on. He won that World Series with the Yankees? No, because uh, they cut him well before the playoffs started. Oh, okay. <laughs> but he played like 20 games with them, so that counts uh, for something. Do you think he got a ring? He must have. I don't know. Yeah, I, I hope he did, but it's not listed as a banner on his B-Rip page. Uh, I, I don't think you'll find any trace of him on the uh, commissioner's trophy or anything. So I hope they gave him his due, but hope he, he was not good for the Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> Rookie of the year, I thought he was going to be really good. He wasn't. Yeah, this was before I learned about like the whole age thing, uh, because the, you know the rookie of the year voting that year was between Angel Baroa and Hideki Matsui, um, and somehow Matsui wasn't even that much older. Hmm. So yeah, kind of an interesting thing where I thought both of those guys would end up being way better, and then uh, yeah, it turns out there's only so much better you can get uh, after a certain point. Wait, how old was Baroa? Baroa was 25, and Matsui uh, was. In his late twenties, um, after a successful career in the Nippon League, so yeah, I think uh, I keep forgetting happens. that like half the hype around Otani is that he's the youngest to come over, so there's still potential that he grows. Ichiro just kind of like ruined the curve for everybody because he was just constantly the same and never aged until like three years ago. Yeah. All right. So the jersey of the day, Andy. This is your segment. I'm going to let you take it away. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we need to give the Diamondbacks their due. I definitely have to eat crow on uh, selling them short. So as I prepare to go to central New York this week for work, it is the birthplace of one Patrick Corbin, a pitcher for the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks who is just shoving on the mound, not today, but in general. And I am on the Fanatics page for... Um, uh, Mr. Corbin, and you can basically get a jersey of any of the 10 variants of Diamondbacks jerseys. Uh, I suggest the gray with the teal uh, outlining of the letters. Something a little wild, something a little crazy. Uh, Patrick Corbin, here's your due. You should, uh, everybody should know about this kid. He's, he's good. He's supposed to be good, uh, which is a nice combo. So there you go. Pat Corbin, CNY native. Love that guy. It's great. Nice. Yeah, I keep forgetting that Central New York has produced um, a grand total of two baseball players that I that are noteworthy, one of whom is Mr. Corbin. The other one is Jason Grilly. Hey, <laughs> your guy. My, Didn't he go first overall? Jason Grilly was a first rounder. I don't think he was first overall. I think he might have been top five to Colorado. Okay, since you guys uh, brought this up, Jason Grilly was number four overall in 1997. <laughs> The number one overall pick that year, also a right-handed reliever by the name of Matt Anderson. Oh, oh damn. That's man. a Tigers draft pick. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah, and he you know, uh, did not really have a successful actually... major league career. <laughs> no, but he threw gas, though. Yeah, I always liked him. I thought he was going to turn it around. 
Who, yeah. what, who, okay, so if Grilly and Anderson were in the top two, did anybody from that draft in the top five actually have a good career, or was that... Oh, yeah, the other three in the top five did. Uh, it was J.D., <laughs> Drew, and Troy Gloss, and Vernon Wells. Holy so, crap. Yeah. If you were a pitcher drafted in the first round in 1997, <laughs> bad news, um, literally none of them had successful MLB careers. Grilly was by far the best of the pitchers taken in the first round that year. That's and it's terrifying. not even close. Did you say Troy Gloss, too? I'm seeing yeah. Troy Gloss. And Lance Berkman's in that draft, too. Mm-hmm. John Garland a little later. Wow. Yeah, there were good players in the draft, uh, but all position players in the first round, they were the only uh, successful ones. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jake, you've got a, a new segment that you'd like to talk about, so I'm going to hand it off to you and uh, let you talk for a little bit. Okay, this is uh, in some ways a uh, bid for sponsors. Perk up your ears. Um, this is the beer of the week, and this week's is going to be Bell's Two-Hearted Ale. <laughs> Bell's Two-Hearted Ale, if, if, if I were dying of thirst in the desert and someone offered me a glass of water that would save my life and a Bell's Two-Hearted Ale that would lead to my eventual death, I would choose the Bell's Two-Hearted Ale. Um, that fish on the label is uh, just the most beautiful creature I've ever seen in my life. It's a good one. I've uh, had it once or twice and I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a good one. I'm glad. It's the best in, it's the, best in the price range of like 11 or 12 bucks for a six-pack. Yeah, that's hey, a really I, good I point. Go that. that is a reasonable amount of money for a, a tasty and wholesome beer. You don't spend $25 on a six-pack, Tucker? I only spend $25 on one single beer because it has to be worth it. <laughs> <laughs> the more expensive, the better. That's, that's how it's life like... works in uh, America's economic system. Uh, sure. I was so, trying uh, to find a really bad contract to talk to about. our fantasy updates uh, because... I am playing you this week, and right now I'm down uh, seven to three. You've got this little lead there in categories, but I'll have the opportunity to catch up. How confident are you feeling? I'm going to make you feel awful and tell you that I have checked my fantasy team a grand total of once this week. Um, so, <laughs> um, everybody, I've only got two other guys going, or I've only got one other person potentially going tonight, and that's. Uh, uh, Jose Martinez for the Cardinals. So I'm pretty set. I like my lead in my in the pitching stats. It's going to come down to the uh, to everything else. So uh, I'm 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 like a 75 percent confident right now. All right, and Jake, how about your salary man? How are you looking this week? I really think that I can get a tie if I have one pitcher go out and throw a one two three inning, and it might be Chris Sale who apparent who's like struck out twelve in seven innings. And he might go out for the eighth. Um, or it might be Blake China with the save tonight. But if I get a one, two, three inning or a steal, then I can muster up a tie or a, or a win. So that's not bad. I think both of you guys are in a, well, definitely Andy, better in better uh, position than I am at the moment. Uh, so let's talk about real baseball again as we close this podcast. Our series of the week last week was this Yankees at Astros series. I know I was watching intently, and I was pretty happy with the results. But what? Oh man, Pedro or uh, Luis Severino was so good. That sh- complete game shutout with I think ten strikeouts, and he was in the in the ninth. He's so good. 
Severino. You're the only person who's ever accidentally called Luis Severino Pedro Severino. Uh, Severino, Nationals, yeah. (laughs) Severino being good for the Yankees would be like. I've always thought that the Yankees, uh, the best case scenario this year was that they go into the playoffs and then MLB juices the ball again. And then the Yankees win by basically having guy the lineup that's ready for that. Um, but Severino being good could move them into a level where they're just where I have a lot more faith in them. Uh, pitching was always my question mark with the Yankees, and it's looking less and less of a question mark. Um, the only thing is that obviously the, the Red Sox have that rotation that everybody talks about, but will ultimately fall apart in October. Yeah, and the Yankees had some bullpen struggles early on this season, which uh, I was kind of worried about because that was supposed to be one of their strengths coming into the year. Uh, it's definitely coming a little bit now. Uh, they're still feeling some injuries right now. Um, Adam Warren's been a great long reliever. McKinley had a great last season, but uh, both of them are on the DL right now. And uh, they're looking for you know value elsewhere, especially uh, with Dylan Batanza struggling this season. Um, so they're definitely getting more dependent on that rotation. And if Domingo Herman can slide in um, as that fifth star, Jordan Montgomery's out for a little while. That's going to be huge for him. Uh, and he had a great start today against Cleveland, but um, especially against Houston, just the way they were able to compete against uh, you know one of the very best teams in the league um, on the road was very optimistic. Uh, I, I like what I saw from my boys uh, so far. All of my large adult sons did very well. And um, once a couple of these bats start turning around a little bit more, uh, Brett Gardner still isn't hitting. Uh, neither is neither. Um, even John Carlos Stanton is definitely underperforming uh, his projections so far. Once that comes around, uh, even if the pitching does kind of stay shaky for a little bit longer, I think they're still going to continue to be a very, very good team for the rest of the year. Um, there was just a breaking news. I don't know if we got, got to this, but Yadier Molina is out for a while after being hit in the groin area uh, with a 100. 100- we got hit in the dick with a baseball. Oh, no. Yeah, there we go. Uh, 102 mile per hour, and he apparently, the force of the impact was absorbed by his uh, reproductive area and he needed surgery to repair it. And, oh, my God. Yeah. It was not uh, not what you want to see or feel or any of those things. It, it's probably about as painful of an experience as I could possibly imagine. Was yeah. he catching? Yeah, he was catching. Mm-hmm. And uh, allegedly the protection that he had was either non-existent or not enough. And the force of the impact... W- basically led to him needing surgery and now he's out for a month and uh the yankee cardinals have a top 20 catching prospect carson kelly who will join the team and probably be the the newest cardinal to to continually hit and us to all be angry about yeah that's a three-war guy i've never heard of him but he's (laughs) absolutely just yeah yeah three war 130 ops plus he'll be good Mm -hmm. oh but man it's crazy that his penis yeah, on the field too. It's not what you want to see. Oh my God, baseball is so weird. 